stand, take a moment, welcome those around you, and then we will worship together. Lord Almighty. 
And through the truth of your word that we're going to study this morning, we can know that we know that we know that we have eternal life, that you have sealed us with the Spirit of God, who gives us that assurance that the inheritance that awaits for us, Lord, that is already ours now, that one day we will see it in its uh, fullness, that we will experience, God, all that you have promised in its totality. So, Lord, we have um, those blessings now, and then we have the hope of those blessings in the future. And so, Lord, may we just trust in you today. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us again and continue to worship? without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given my morning grew white, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made
together, I couldn't help but think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan this morning who have gathered to worship, but knowing as they gather to worship, it could cost them their very life. Um, This was going around on social media this week, but somebody had said that as they were singing a final verse of a song, an Afghan brother came and whispered in his ear that Afghanistan's president had just resigned, the Taliban are now in control, and they sang, Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. And to be able to praise God in the midst of knowing that it may cost you your very Life. Our praying the scripture this morning is Psalm 108, verse 5. I read these verses a couple days ago. Verse 5 says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This morning, as you pray through this verse, would you pray that God's name would be exalted above the heavens, that his glory would be over all the earth, specifically in Afghanistan, where brothers and sisters and Christ are being persecuted, but where an entire country and people, their lives are now flipped upside down. And so can we just go to the Lord and just say, God, somehow, some way, be exalted, be glorified, even in the midst of this. So pray through this verse, and then I'll pray for us. Father, one of the hymns that we sing 
I think particularly maybe around Christmas time. It says, oh, come, let us adore him. We sing, we'll praise his name forever. We'll give him all the glory. For he alone is worthy. Father, that is our prayer this morning. It is a simple prayer, but yet, God, it is a life-changing, world-changing prayer. And that is, God, that you will receive all the glory. Not us, but you. Father, we pray this morning for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, but also other places in the world, and even maybe pockets here in America, where because of our faith in Jesus, Lord, it is beginning to cost us. Maybe for some, their very life. For others, their young daughters have been ripped from their very hands and taken off, and who knows what is happening to them. And God, there's just so much evil and, and wickedness. And oh Lord Jesus, all that I know to pray right now is that you would just come. Come quickly. But God, until you come, would you please just assure your church once again, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We belong to you. We are yours. So help us to stand for you. Help us to live for you. Help us to proclaim you. That you, oh God, will receive all the glory. And we do this because we know as we're about to sing, there is victory in Jesus. This morning, there is victory in Jesus. And if anyone here, anyone watching online, doesn't know that victory, anyone who will watch this this week or in a month from now, doesn't know that victory, that right now, Spirit of God, you would just take hold of their hearts, that you would open their eyes, you would convict them, and that they would come right now through repenting of their sins and taking hold of Jesus, they would come to know that victory. Father, there's a lot of people that, that chose to stay home today, and, and maybe, God, for some good reasons, maybe they were sick, Lord, uh, maybe they just couldn't come for health reasons. But, Father, there's a lot of people who stayed home from church today, Lord, just because they didn't feel like coming. And yet, God, there are brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan that intentionally went to church knowing they may never go home again. God, that's what it looks like to follow Christ. And your church in America, we've known comfort for a long, long time. And maybe things will change for us going forward. God, we don't know, but you know. My prayer is that we will continue to trust in the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. And Lord, that we'll take a stand for you, for your glory and your honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand once again because you cannot sing victory in Jesus sitting down.
Watch them wrap him in 
Amen. Remain standing, if you will, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, if we have any K-4 through 2nd grade kiddos left, you can make your way to Children's Church right now. Ephesians chapter 1, we continue this one long sentence. It's one sentence. In our translations, it's verses 3 through 14. We'll finish out uh, this one sentence this morning. This is the word of the Lord beginning in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. Church, isn't it good this morning to see Miss Ann back with us? You too, brother. It's good to see you. They, they walked in Sunday night, and we were all out there waiting to come into the sanctuary, and they start clapping, and I walked up to Curtis, I said, you know they were clapping for Ann, not you, don't you? We love you guys. It is good to have you back up here leading us in worship, brother. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we live in a world of, of broken promises, and all of us, God, we're looking for assurance. Can I really trust what I've just read? Can I really believe and take this person at his word. God, this morning you provide us with a beautiful, wonderful assurance that we can know that we know that we know that we are saved. That we can know that we know we sang about this mansion that's waiting on us, these, these promises, these blessings, God, that you have promised in Christ. Lord, we don't have to wonder this morning, question if they are true, if they are reliable if we can hold fast to them but God we can know so as you just strengthen and encourage us today we pray in Jesus name amen during the American Civil War as a result of family tragedy a soldier was granted permission to seek a hearing from the president he wanted because of this family tragedy to request exemption from military service However, when he arrived at the White House, he was refused entry. He was sent away. And so he walked away, dejected, and went to a nearby park. A young boy came across him and remarked how unhappy this man looked. The soldier found himself telling the young boy everything. Eventually, the boy said, come with me. He led the dejected soldier back to the White House. They went around the back. None of the guards stopped them. Even the generals and high-ranking officials stood to attention and let them pass through. The soldier was amazed. He didn't know what was happening. Finally, they came to the presidential office, and without knocking, the young boy just walked right in. Abraham Lincoln, standing there, turned from his conversation with the Secretary of State and said, What can I do for you, Tad? Tad spoke up and said, Dad, this soldier needs to talk to you. This soldier, on his own, was turned away from the White House. But because of the president's son, he had access into the very room where Abraham Lincoln was. This morning, Paul continues 
to praise God in this one long sentence for the blessings that he has received through the Son, Jesus Christ. Right? God the Father has chosen and adopted us. Jesus Christ the Son has redeemed us, and through his blood, Paul says, we can have forgiveness of his sins. But how can we really know for sure? I remember growing up, many preachers I sat under said, you can know that you know that you know that you have salvation. Well, can we really know? Can any of us sitting here really have the assurance that we have been adopted by God, that we, are, we have experienced redemption and the forgiveness of sins, and that one day when we die or when Jesus comes back, that we're really going to spend eternity with Him? Can we really know? And the answer is absolutely yes, we can know. Because we see in these verses that the Spirit of God assures us. The Spirit of God sent by right, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, reassures our hearts. So I want to point out three words to you this morning as we just kind of break down this verse and we see the hope that we have. The first word is simply this, inheritance. Inheritance. Look how verse 11 begins. In Him. In Him or in Christ. Again, this is a common theme for Paul in Ephesians. Listen, it is in Him. It's in Jesus. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no redemption. Paul says in Him we have redemption redemption apart from jesus christ there is no blessing there is no inheritance there is only condemnation is there another way to be saved no is there another way for us to be redeemed the answer is no paul is clear it is only in christ that we have these things so what does paul say in him we have obtained an inheritance now that phrase, we have obtained an inheritance, in my English translation is one, two, three, four, five words. We have obtained an inheritance. Here's the question for us. And every commentary I read dealt with this question. It'll be on the screen. Should we interpret this phrase, we have obtained an inheritance, or should we interpret it, we have been made an inheritance? Now, those are two very different things. There are some translations that translate this, we have been made an inheritance. The English Standard Version translates this, we have obtained an inheritance. So, why the disagreement? Well, two reasons. Number one, it's five words in English. It is one compound Greek word. Just one. We have obtained an inheritance is one word in the Greek. And so, how do we interpret that? The other issue is this. Both of these are biblical themes. There's not a right or a wrong here. They are both biblical truths. So, as some translate it, we have obtained an inheritance. This is biblically true. We see in the Old Testament, right? The people of God received an inheritance. For them, the inheritance primarily at that time was the land. God had promised the land. It was an inheritance for them. Right, We see in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want to turn over there really quick, I, I love, love this verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. I mean, I love verse 3 as well, but I'm just going to read verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
Right? Peter's saying, this is what awaits us. We have an inheritance awaiting for us. And he says, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So if we translate this, we have obtained an inheritance. We can say that's biblical. We see this biblical theme in Scripture. But others translate this, we have been made an inheritance. This is also a biblical truth in the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, for example, Deuteronomy 4, verse 20, it speaks of God's people as His inheritance. So God has an inheritance. It was the people of God. It was Israel. Chapter 1, verse 18 of Ephesians. We'll see this next week. What does it say? Look, look there with me. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. Paul's saying you can know certain things. What is the hope to which He has called you? Look at this. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul is saying you are God's inheritance. He has adopted us. We are His. We are His inheritance. So, which one is true? Well, Paul probably had one particular one in mind, but I think both of these could be true. If you press me on it, I would probably hold in, in just my studying that it's saying here that we are God's inheritance. Verse 18, he touches on that, but, but either one are true. And this morning, as we think about this, certainly both of these are true. So he, here's the question I want us to consider this morning. How? How did we become God's inheritance, or how do we receive this inheritance that is waiting for us? How does it become ours? Well, remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about being chosen. We were talking about predestination. We talked about God's sovereignty and human responsibility and how in our minds they, they contradict each other. But in God's mind, because He's an infinite God, they don't contradict. They're right there in Scripture, laid right alongside of each other. Well, you're about to see that here. Because how do we become God's possession? How do we receive this inheritance? There's a divine perspective and there's a human perspective. So let's look at the divine perspective first. Verse 11. Notice the language here. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, or we have been made an inheritance. Look at this. Having been predestined. According to the purpose of him. The purpose of who? Your purpose? No, it's the purpose of him. Who works all things. You may want to underline that, all things. He works all things according to the counsel of what? His will. Right? This is the divine sovereignty of God. Notice the emphasis here is upon the work of God. That's good news. Because this inheritance that we are waiting on, or the fact that we have been made an inheritance ultimately is on God and not us. Therefore, if it's on God, we can't lose it. We can't lose it because God says it's His initiative, His will, His purpose, according to His purpose, His counsel. Those are just synonymous nouns, right? That which was purposed and that which was planned. Paul is saying God works out what He plans. Amen? God works out what He plans. He makes the plan and He makes it work out. My mom and dad are in, in town this weekend visiting us, and we were sitting around uh, talking yesterday, and I pulled up my phone and was checking Instagram, and I read a quote, short quote, by C.A. Spurgeon. And I read it out loud, and I said, I'm using that tomorrow. Here's what Spurgeon said. I shake, but my rock moves not. I shake, but my rock moves not. Our rock is Jesus Christ, 
right? And we stand firmly upon him. And though you and I shake and our life spins out of control, all along the way, God is saying, hey, look, I'm working all things according to the counsel, according to the purpose of my will, right? This is the divine perspective. God is sovereignly working over all things. And then we continue, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's Paul saying we were the first to hope in him. Now look at verse 13. Now here's the human perspective. In him, that's in Jesus, you also, now notice the language, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. The human perspective is this, we have believed, we have trusted. So when do we receive the inheritance? When we believe, when we trust. When do we become God's possession? Paul's saying is when we believe, when we trust. Do you see? God and man's responsibility right next to each other here in these two verses. God is working all things together. He predestines, he chooses, and right there with it is we hear, we receive, we believe. What does he say? In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard, how do you hear? By teaching and preaching the word of God. That is how you have heard. This morning, God just impressed upon my heart as I was praying with some men of the different names of Sunday school teachers or pastors, my parents, who taught me the gospel so that I could hear the gospel with my own ears. When we heard the word of what? Truth. It's the word of truth because God is truth. We can trust this word. It's the word of truth. And then he goes on to say, right, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your salvation. God sent Jesus on a rescue mission, on a rescue operation. His mission was to deliver people from spiritual death, to deliver them from God's wrath, right? To deliver them from bondage to evil powers, sin, and the flesh. Now look what he says. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Every single one of us in this room, we have committed many, many, many sins. Do you know that one particular sin does not send you to hell? We, we sometimes don't want to make some sins worse than others, and one sin does not send you to hell. Do you know that heaven is going to be filled with people who sinned? It's going to be filled with people who sinned. Then what sends us to hell? It is the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's what sends you to hell. It's not a particular sin, oh, I lied, I gossiped. Those are all to show you you need a Savior. What sends you to hell is rejecting Jesus. So hear me. Those who will spend eternity in hell are those who refused to confess their sins to Jesus and who refused to bow their knee and their heart to the Lordship and the reign of Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell. Those of us who will spend eternity with God are those who confess their sin. Those of us who confessed our brokenness, right? And we bowed our knee and our heart to the Lordship and the reign of Jesus Christ. That's what separates those who will spend eternity in hell and those who will spend eternity with God in the new heavens and the new earth. It's what do you do with Jesus. And so your responsibility is to believe and to call upon the name of Jesus. That's what you are to do. Now look, you and I can't save anyone. We can't save anyone. 
So what do we do? We tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We tell them about this rescue mission that God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son on. We proclaim the gospel. We plead on their behalf. We go to the Lord and we pray for them. And maybe we fast for them and we go to the Lord. And then what do we do? We call them to repentance. We call them to believe upon the name of Jesus Christ. Church, hear me. Apart from Jesus, our future is not hopeful. It is tragic. But because of Jesus, we have hope. We have an inheritance or we are the inheritance of God. And that is good news for those of us who are in Christ. There's a second thing I want to draw your attention to, and that begins here in verse 13, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Notice four things about the Holy Spirit. Notice, number one, He is a person. He's a person. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, look what Paul says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. Not it is the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and He is a person. So first of all, the person. Notice, secondly, He is the promised Holy Spirit. He says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit... On all my flesh. Joel's in the Old Testament, in case you're not familiar with that. Then Jesus says this in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the spirit of God will not come to you. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33 says this. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So God had promised to pour out the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And on the day of Pentecost, God does just that. So this morning, right, you have been filled. The Spirit of God indwells you. But there's something else Paul says here. Third thing I want you to notice is that you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Question. When are you sealed with the Holy Spirit? When do you receive the Spirit of God? Because there's a lot of people in other denominations that disagree with us and when we believe the Scriptures are clear that you receive the Holy Spirit. So what does Paul say? Look at the language really quick. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him were sealed. See, there are some that teach that the Spirit of God comes later on after you've given your life to Jesus, a second act of grace, which is often seen in your speaking in tongues. But I think Paul's pretty clear. You heard, you believed, you were sealed. Right? It's the Spirit of God who's working in our lives. Right? Paul says we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So the only reason you gave your life to Jesus is because the Spirit of God was already at work in your dead life, causing you to be born again. So the Spirit's working in you, and then out of that, the conviction, you believe on Him, and just like that, you're sealed. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Hear me, Christian. If you have given your life to Jesus, you have 
the Holy Spirit. And I believe you have all the Holy Spirit you could ever need. He's there. It's not like you got a portion of him. He's there, right? It's just, are we, are we willing to be filled? Are we aware of the work of the Spirit? But in this case, Paul says, you've been sealed. This is a good word. So I want to unpack this for you for a few moments. Because again, the whole purpose of this message is for you and I as believers to know we can have assurance. That we can know that this inheritance that is ours in the future and is already ours now, that it's it's a guarantee. So this word seal, I want to point out three words to you. Number one is security. Security. The seal in biblical times was usually made of hot wax. So they'd put this hot wax on a document, for example, and they would take a signet ring maybe of the king and they would impress that signet ring within that hot wax. So this seal made something secure. It would secure a legal document, right? Um, And it would keep it secure. It was not to be tampered with or opened until it reached its ultimate destination. Think about this. Jesus is crucified upon the cross. They place him in the tomb. And the Roman soldiers do what to the tomb? Seal it. Why? Because they were afraid the disciples were going to come take the body. What they failed to take into consideration is that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God. He didn't need anybody to break him out. He was coming out on his own. And so they tried to seal it. They tried to secure it, but it didn't work because Jesus is alive. Right? So we have this seal. You have been sealed with the Spirit of God. That means you are secure. God is saying to us, this person who has been sealed with the Holy Spirit, he's mine. Curtis, that's my son. He's been sealed with my spirit. He is mine. There's a second word. A seal also indicated ownership. The seal would mark out property or documents. It would identify the owner. Right? This, this edict is on behalf of the king, cattle, slaves, Unfortunately, tragically, they would do this to slaves. They would, they would put a brand or a seal on them so the people know who owned them. I remember back in elementary school, Landon had a Kentucky Wildcats jacket because why not, right? It's the only kind of gear you should wear. Um, and he, so he wore it to school, and he left it. He lost it, right? So I think it was the next morning, um, his school, elementary school, they would have these announcements and the people would be on the TV and they held up the Kentucky jacket. And that was probably pretty clear who it belonged to. In Florida, not a whole lot of people wore Kentucky gear. Um, more than you would think because of a lot of snowbirds, but not a lot. And, and so uh, they held it up and they said, hey, if this belongs to you, you need to come to the office, you need to claim it. So Landon was like, that's mine. So Landon went to the office and he said, hey, this Kentucky jacket, it's mine. And then they said this, hey, Landon, next time, write your name on it. No brainer. Why would you write your name on it? Because if he loses it again, they can just say, oh, this belongs to Landon. Church, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God is saying, you're mine. Landon Hornsby, you're mine. Ryan Hornsby, you're mine. You belong to me because you've been sealed with my spirit. You belong to God. Let that that encourage you and assure your hearts this morning that through the seal of the Holy Spirit, He owns you. You are His. And then there's a third word, and that is authenticity. A seal makes something official or authentic. So today, right, some documents you have to fill out require a notary. So you go to that notary and you sign that information in front of that notary, and what do they do? 
They stamp it because it's authentic. This person signed this in front of me, and I have the, the power to, to give approval to this. I'm a notary. God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He is saying this person is an authentic citizen of my kingdom because they have believed on me, and I've sealed them with the Spirit of God. Church, that's good news. Security, ownership, authenticity. This is what God is saying to us through his sealing us with a spear. But then he goes on to say this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Church, we have present blessings. They're ours now, but we also have a future hope. We have present blessings, but we also have a future hope. This word guarantee simply means down payment. You ever bought a house? They require a down payment. So you make that down payment. Now, wouldn't it be nice if that down payment was all you had to pay? Unless you can buy it in full. Most of us can't, right? It's a down payment. And what you are saying is, this is just the beginning. I'm promising that the rest is coming. This is just the beginning. Many of you in here have sold a house. And when somebody comes and they want to buy your house, they have to sign a contract. And typically what they have to do is they have to give you earnest money. Earnest money. That earnest money is saying, I'm serious about this. We're not just going to a bunch of different houses and signing contracts for the fun of it. We're serious about buying your house. And they are saying, look, we are going to finish this process. This is just the beginning. These promises that God has made to us, that Paul is rejoicing about, Paul is saying, listen, this is just the down payment. We have it now but the rest is to come. And God is promising us of these things. These promises are glorious. They are exciting. They are amazing. But they are also absolute and certain, Paul says. How do you know that you've been adopted? How do you know that you can be redeemed? How do you know that you can be forgiven? How do you know that you know that you know? It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Hebrews 10, 23, He who promised is faithful. The Holy Spirit's indwelling us shows us that God will complete the deal. He'll complete it. You ever been to Will Call? Going to pick up tickets? Most of the time, now you just have them right on your phone. But used to, you, if somebody was going to leave you tickets for a game, you'd have to go to Will Call. And man, on the way up, I remember going to a Kentucky game one time. My cousin worked there, and he said, hey, I've got tickets for you at the window. They were good tickets. And I'm just walking up the window going, man, I'm hoping he actually dropped these off. I'm going to look like a fool if I get up there like, yeah, I got two tickets. And they're like, no, we got no record of it. Like you go up there and you're hoping they are there. How do we know that one day when we take our final breath and this is it for us, how do we know that when we stand before God, we can hold fast to his promises? Because he has given us his spirit. What more could he do? He has assured our hearts that you know him, that you can trust him. Third, his glory. His glory. He says this, he finishes this long sentence simply this way, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. John Calvin said, we are not our own, we are God's. We belong to God, therefore let us live for him and die for him. Each of you has been given a footprint. Each of you has been given a sphere of influence in your life. You have a family, you have a school, you have a job, you have a neighborhood, you have a ministry in which you serve. You have an area of influence that God has given you 
for a certain number of days. A certain allotted time. What are you going to do with that footprint? What are you going to do with that small area that God has given you? Will you leverage your gifts and your resources to the praise of His glory? Or will you use them for yourself? You see, church, the fact that we belong to God and He's given us the Spirit of God to show us that, this this changes the way we look at life. So some of our small kids in here, elementary school, there's a few of you, many of them went out. But listen, right, you're at school and, and, and you got somebody you know in your class and they're getting picked on they're getting made fun of and some of the kids making fun of them they're your friends look in that moment you've got a decision you have to make am i going to go along with the the cool kids that are making fun of this little kid or am i going to be different am i going to say you know what i belong to god i don't need their approval i don't need their friendship i'm going to stand up for this one kid who's getting made fun of because i can do this for the glory of god my middle school, my high school students, are you guys are going to be put in situations where some of your so-called friends or people you know, right, they're going to get involved in, in drugs and alcohol and partying and saying things that you know don't belong to God. They don't honor God. And in that moment, you've got a decision you've got to make. Are you going to go with the crowd? Are you going to go with your friends to try to win their approval? Or are you going to say, listen, I don't need their approval. I don't need their applause because I've been sealed with the Spirit of God. I belong to my Father, and all I care about is pleasing Him and honoring Him. You get into college. Your teacher begins to teach certain things that you know go against the Word of God. And maybe many of your Christian friends and other people start to abandon their faith. They walk away from their faith. Or maybe you're going to get into college and you're going to start, getting, start experiencing persecution. The professor may laugh at you, mock you, and you may think, you know what? I can walk away from this Word of truth, the gospel of salvation, because I want to fit in. Or you can say, I don't care what they think. I belong to God and I'm standing for Him. Adults, your workplace, your leisure, your family time. Every one of us has a choice. Where we live, our neighborhood. Are we going to use the resources that God has given us? Are we going to leverage them because we are concerned ultimately about His glory and not our own? Because we belong to Him. Because we belong to Him, nothing else really matters because we've already got his approval. And one day we will see him face to face. Church, will you, will you live for him and his glory? How will you live your life? Will we be able to say the words of that song? We'll praise his name forever. Sing with me. We'll praise His name forever. We'll praise His name forever. Christ the Lord. We'll give Him all the glory. We'll give Him all the glory. We'll give him 
Father, we sing those words. We declare those words. Father, do we really mean them from the bottom of our hearts? Because God, the words of Ephesians chapter 1 transformed the Apostle Paul's life. These truths took him from being one who killed and persecuted Christians to becoming the very one, God, the very vessel, the very agent that you would use to write half of the New Testament books. Because God, this is what you do. You save lives, you change lives, you transform lives. Paul understood he now belonged to you, and it cost him his life. There are brothers and sisters all across this world who they know when they lift up their praises to sing, it may cost them their life. Why? Why are they willing to do it? Because they understand that they have been chosen of God and redeemed by the Son, and they have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. They belong to you, and they are willing to follow you even if it costs them their life. Oh God, will we, will your church here in America, will we take a stand? Will we understand? Look, I don't have to be concerned with the applause of the world. Because I belong to the God most high. I am his son and I am his daughter. And that changes everything. And I know that because I have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who not only seals us, but fills us and indwells us and leads us and guides us and convicts us. So Spirit of God, have your way in this place right now. Have your way in my heart right now. Bring your people to a place of conviction, of confession, of repentance. Assure the very hearts of those who need to be assured today. Convict the very hearts of those that need to be convicted today. And may we just give you all the glory. To Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The altar is open as it is every week. If you need to come and kneel and pray, I'm here at the front. If you need to pray with me, let's stand and let's sing together. Three announcements really quick before we close with a word of prayer. Awana begins tonight. Who's excited about Awana? I'm excited about Awana. 
Thankful to all our, our workers and our volunteers. Workers, we're going to have a meeting at 4.30, so if you can be here at 4.30 uh, for that. This coming Saturday at 5 o'clock, Johnny and Donna Moss, they're going to be here with us. You'll get to learn more about them. you get to meet them. Uh, we'll present them with a projector uh, that our kids help raise money for. So you want to be a part of that. Put that on your schedule this Saturday at 5 o'clock. And then our quarterly conference starts tonight. Now, the bulletin says 7 o'clock. It's not going to be 7 o'clock. And water doesn't get over to, I think, 7 or 7.05. We're going to try to start around 7.10. So if you're not a part of Awana and you just come for the meeting, get here by 7.10 and, and you'll be good. Um, but if you're an adult and you're not involved in Awana, David is beginning his Bible study tonight going through the book of Daniel. That's at 6 o'clock. The youth also meet at 6 o'clock. So we have a full calendar of events. Deacon of the week. Mr. Dennis, is that you? Come on, brother. He gets, to, he gets to pray for us on his birthday. It's Mr. Dennis's birthday, so. Appreciate you, brother. If you'll close us out with a word of prayer. But not only on my birthday, I'll pray for you all. <laughs> Lord, we do thank you for the privilege you give us to gather together in your house, Lord, to worship you. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can study. Lord, we thank you for our pastor who uh, studies that and, and will preach a message based on the Bible. So, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for salvation we have if we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that seals uh, and guarantees our relationship with you. So, Lord, we thank you for all those things and ask, Lord, that uh, we would not hold that to ourselves, but we would share that with others so that the world may know. So, Lord, lead, guide us, and direct us, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.